Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher in New York City. Want to start off wishing everyone happy St. Patrick's Day, uh, happy Holy for those who observe. Of course, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we had uh, an Irishman on last week. I thought it was an interesting conversation about a pretty wide variety of topics and I really enjoyed having David Lappin on. So if you haven't had a chance to hear my interview with Mr. Lappin, please uh, take the time to download, subscribe, like, review, rate, all that jazz as every podcaster on earth is constantly asking us all to do. I can be no different because we want good ratings too. Anyway, uh, it's been a few weeks since you and I had a chance to talk just one-to-one like this. So I want to say, how you doing? I hope you're well. Uh, I'm very happy that the comedy scene here in New York is absolutely thriving right now. We've been doing just sold-out shows with some really famous performers uh, that I've gotten to share the stage with recently. Gary Goldman, John Oliver, Bill Burr, and more. And uh, heading into the spring, it looks like things are going to be full steam ahead for the foreseeable future, which we know is not a thing. The future is never foreseeable, but we shall see. I'm just knocking on wood, hoping that things can continue at the pace that they are now. As pent-up demand is pent-up no longer, people are having their demands met in the form of laughter and a two-drink minimum. So that's been going great, but at the same time, I'm counting the seconds until I can get to Vegas for the World Series of Poker. As you guys know, I am the biggest WSOP fanboy in the world. I can't wait to get out there again. Uh, Last fall, the World Series didn't treat me so well, but I'm ready to avenge that loss and kick some butt this year. I'm studying really hard on Tournament Poker Edge. There's a great new series relatively new, uh, it came out this month anyway, from my favorite guy, Andrew Brokus, where he talks about playing bad hands, as it's often correct to do from, for example, the big blind. So you end up with a bad hand, but you have to play that hand because doing so is more profitable than folding it, given the price you are getting before the flop. So uh, that's a great series. I believe it's a six-part series. Uh, and Andrew is so great at explaining things and helping me see things more clearly. And I'm sure that he is uh, the same for so many of you. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out on TournamentPokerEdge.com, which, by the way, if you are not yet a member, now's the time to join. You can save $10 off your first month's membership by using the promo code PODCAST at checkout. So today what I want to do is uh, continue talking about the 2021 WSOP main event as shown on Poker Go. We are currently on day two ABD, I want to say. I mean, the way they had to do it last year with uh, the airports reopening to foreign visitors amid 
the coronavirus. By the way, that word amid is like almost never used except in a negative context, like amid some kind of disaster that's going on. You never hear like, oh, I had so much fun amid Robert's birthday party or something. It's always amid the crisis of some kind. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the schedule got all screwed up last year because they first they were going to have four starting days, then they changed it to six so that we could let more Europeans in, and everything was all messed up. So anyway, day two ended up being, I think, A, B, D, and then the second day two was C, E, F. I could have it all screwed up. But anyway, uh, they focused on a table that featured some pretty notable players, Jason Kuhn and Doyle Brunson. And if you don't know those names, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Uh, These are two of the most famous poker players of all. So uh, let's jump right in, shall we? I mean, let's talk some poker. I miss you guys. Let's talk poker. So the blinds are 600-1200 with a 1200 ante. So it's kind of smack dab in the middle of day two, I guess. For this hand, I want to tell you some of the players' holdings, but not others. So in second position, so one fold, and then uh, an Israeli player by the name of Ori Eshel opens from second position to 2,600 off of a 60,000 stack. So that's a starting stack, but he's got one on day two here. I don't want to tell you what he had, just that he opens from early position. A player named Victor Christostomo, Chrysostomo, uh, with... 45,000. Now he's got pocket queens and decides to flat call. So mm-hmm. he is in the low jack position and he just doubled up, by the way, on the hand right before this one. So he was getting short. He got all in, won a coin flip, and now he's got pocket queens and decides to just flat. So do we like this play? Personally, I don't. Uh, let's see. He's got about 35-ish big blinds, right? His M is 15. The table has been a little bit aggressive, so that might be a case for just calling here and then trying to get all in uh, after somebody behind me. Three bets, which, uh, you know, there are plenty of players left. I'm only in the low jack, so there's, I mean, I guess a pretty decent chance that that could happen, which would be a great outcome. Like, if I call... 26 and then say uh, maybe Jason Kuhn who has yet to act decides to three bet to like nine or ten thousand and then maybe the original raiser calls that I mean that's a dream scenario for Queens because now I can just shove the whole 45 and not really care what happens next I mean if they want to call with uh, ace queen ace king I'm I'm in good shape uh, if they want to call with pocket jacks I'm in great shape and if they all fold, that's also fine because by that point, there's so much in the pot. It's great to just take it down and increase my stack by over 50% without even seeing a flop. So perhaps just trying to give Chris Ostomo the benefit of the doubt here, perhaps that's what he has in mind when he just flat calls. So after that, it folds to the button who is RD Kershumi. And uh, he is the table chip leader with almost 200,000. And he's on the button with the ace of diamonds, 10 of diamonds. So he's got ace 10 suited. Definitely some players in his shoes would at least some of the time 
three bet after this action with a hand as strong as ace 10 suited but Kershumi decides to just call on the button which I wonder if uh, Chris Ostomo watched this hand later he was like man that was that was my chance because that could have resulted in a, a nice big pot for me to shove after having flat called the original raise but yeah that's kind of the problem with that playing style is that you want to get these 35 big blinds all in if you can but you are depending on somebody else to help you do that uh, you can't get all in when you just flat you've got to wait for somebody else to raise after you flat and that can be dicey like you you're depending on other people to make that happen for you so I think all things considered I would be a three bet and get it all in pre-flop if I can kind of guy here uh, you will sometimes run into aces or kings but you know this is similar to the hand we discussed with David Lappin last week some of you picked up on the fact that I was certainly trying to argue for let's keep raising before the flop with the queens so in the hand that Mr. Lappin brought onto the podcast last week I was kind of hinting at the uh, merits of getting all in with Queens given uh, his stack size and his situation at the time in the tournament and he had taken what he called a lower variance route which was just uh, flatting a three bet with them he didn't want a four bet because he was going to have to call if his opponent five bet or shoved and so yeah like you will sometimes run into aces or kings but many times in tournament situations look guys Queens that's the third best possible hand. Of course, sometimes somebody will have kings. And naturally, we all remember all the times when we got it all in with our queens versus aces or kings. But if you have a very aggressive opponent that is trying to get into some sort of pre-flop raising war with you, you should be happy to get, I think, up to 80 big blinds all in pre-flop against that type of player without too much of a thought. So... Now, maybe that's just me, and maybe that's a mistake mm -hmm. that I make in playing the main event, but I can just remember so many times when I either took it down with my pre-flop aggression, which actually is not the worst outcome in the world for pocket queens, can be a very difficult hand to play post-flop, especially if you have a good amount of chips behind, right? But also, there have just been many times when I got it all in against pocket jacks or pocket tens or other hands that many players have difficulty folding because they want to put me on ace king and then they feel pot committed and you know it's just a disaster to fold jacks when I have ace king because uh, jacks are a 57 percent favorite depending on the suits but usually about 57 percent against ace king which is actually a pretty su substantial favorite particularly when one is being laid a price so while I understand the, the levels in the main event are two hours long and we don't need to get into high variance situations, the fact remains that pocket queens is a very strong hand and it's usually going to be good if you get all in for 80 big blinds or less. So you guys can feel free to disagree with that. I definitely got the feeling from David last week that he disagrees with that and prefers to play more of a post-flop game, which is also fine. But yeah, like in this situation, I think in Chrysostomo's shoes, I would have three bet 
with my queens. And if I end up taking it down, that's not so bad. Uh, sometimes they're going to flat. The original razor might flat call me from out of position. And now I get to play an inflated pot in position, holding the third best possible starting hand. And I'll take that every time and twice on Sunday because that is printing money. So, uh, but yeah, he just calls. Now the ace-10 just calls. The small blind folds. And in the big blind, we have Doyle Brunson getting almost eight to one. He calls with queen four offsuit. So yeah, I mean, you might say, well, Doyle should fold because that's such a junk hand. But if Doyle is able to play that hand reasonably well post-flop, getting this kind of price, he should probably be calling. My folding range here would certainly include like a jack four, 10 four. I think queen four is barely strong enough to call. Uh, of course, when you make a pair with a terrible hand like queen four, you don't want to you know, get all your chips in or something. So we're playing deep stack. We're hoping to flop something good, maybe top and bottom pair or maybe three fours. Like no hand is hopeless <laughs> before the flop. Always remember that, guys. You are never drawing dead before the flop. So here we go. All these players see the flop, including the original Razor, Ori Eschel, who I have not revealed his hand yet, but there are three opponents to Ori as well, and the pot is 12,200, and Chrysostomo has the effective stack of 42,000, so now his SPR is 3.5, which is not what we want with pocket queens, right? Especially with three opponents. Uh, if he doesn't flop a set, he is probably going to have some tough decisions to make down the line. So here we go. The flop comes. Queen of spades, nine of clubs, five of hearts. So queen, nine, five, rainbow. And obviously Chrysostomo is loving life with uh, the nuts here on the flop, top set. And Eschel C-bets into three opponents for 6,500 into 12,200. And now Chrysostomo next to act with his pocket queens and holding the nuts. And now he's got two players yet to act behind him. So should he call or fold? Obviously, we're not. I mean, should he call or raise? Obviously, we're not going to fold the nuts on the flop. Uh, generally, we don't like to fold the nuts on the flop in a multi-way pot or even in a heads-up pot for that matter. So uh, it's a big bet, right? I mean, it, the fact that he's betting at all I think tells us quite a bit. He's got something. Very few players nowadays are c-betting a hopeless hand like ace-jack when it comes queen-nine-five rainbow facing three opponents. Uh, you might have seen that 10 or 15 years ago, but nowadays people understand like a, a c-bet is basically a bluff and you don't want to try to bluff three players too often. So... Uh, I would say that it's unlikely that this bet is just air when you have three opponents and you've decided to bet half the pot. Uh, so yeah, by the way, Doyle has checked his top pair here. Remember, Doyle holding the queen four now has top pair on queen nine five. So Doyle checks and Eschel bets 65 into 12-2. I think this is a pretty tough decision actually for the pocket queens. Uh, we don't really want to lose any customers. 
uh, if we, our hand is way, way ahead, which it almost definitely is, there aren't even that many draws available. Uh, King Jack has a gut shot. Jack 10's open-ended. But with no flush draw on board, there are some nebulous, like 8-7 has a gut shot, right? I don't know if those hands are really in anyone's range here. Uh, certainly Doyle, but I don't know about the rest. So, yeah, we're not too worried about getting outdrawn, but the SPR of 3.5 is a tricky one because what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to get this whole stack in unless we raise now? I think we should raise now. Uh, this is a pretty large bet from the original Razor into three opponents, and to me, it screams strength. So I would raise hoping that I'm up against uh, a hand like Ace-Queen, unlikely because I have two of the Queens, uh, certainly pocket Kings, pocket Aces. Many players will have trouble putting me on a set just because I raise because it feels like the kind of board that you could slow play top set. So I think under these circumstances, I would want to raise and I'm trying to get my whole stack in. Also knowing that if for some reason my opponent has a hand like pocket tens, he's probably going to fold, but I'm not sure that pocket tens would have bet this flop anyway, especially again, given the fact that he has three opponents, including the great Doyle Brunson, which tends to slow people down when they're up against a Hall of Famer. They might not want to take too many risks. So the fact that he's bet at all is something, and the fact that he's bet so much, a half the pot here, is also something. So I would be optimistic and try to get all in versus the original Razor. So I would make it like, um, you don't have to raise much, I would probably just make it like 16,000. So he bet 65, I would make it 16,000. I've only got 42,000 behind. And then if he wants to get all in with me, so be it. He's going to get the bad news that I've got a set and then I can double up again, which would be amazing. How many times do you play the main event and you double up on consecutive hands? So we have a shot at doing that. Now, the argument for just calling is that we have the nuts and calling gives us the best chance of playing a multi-way pot uh, and again, there aren't that many draws available to worry about. There are a few, as we mentioned, but not that many. So that is the argument there. But to me, I'm trying to get these chips in. And a lot of bad things can happen too. Certain runouts will slow down a hand like Pocket Kings. And then I won't be able to get the double up anyway because the Kings will be afraid that I've made two pair or a straight or whatever. Like if it comes heart and heart. I might not be able to get that last bet on the river. So let's get it now. Build this pot right now on the flop when we have the nuts. That's my play, but not that of Victor Chrysostomo, who just decides to continue his slow play. So he slow played before the flop, and he's slow playing here on the flop, just calling. And then uh, our chip leader, uh, Kershumi, on the button, folds. Remember, he had ace-10. Of diamonds and there's not even a single diamond on the flop so he's got a pretty hopeless hand there uh, and then Doyle who is again getting a great price over calls because there's still some chance that Doyle's pair of Queens are good uh, but Doyle doesn't want to get too crazy but I don't think he's quite ready to fold yet when we call before the flop with Queen 4 and the flop comes Queen high we typically do not fold to one bet so three to the turn and the pot is 31,700 and the turn card is the jack of hearts. 
Not my favorite card to see if I'm Chris Sostomo. Our board is now Queen-9, 5, Jack with two hearts. And I'm not worried so much that somebody just made a straight, although King-10, I guess, got there. Uh, I'm just more concerned that the board is actually getting scarier for a hand like Pocket Kings or Pocket Aces. And I'm afraid that that player might want to slow down. Now, remember, that's what we're hoping the original Razor has. And so far, his play, raising from early position and then betting into three opponents for a sizing of half the pot, that is pretty consistent with how many players would handle Pocket Aces, Pocket Kings in this spot. So, this Jack of Hearts is not my favorite turn card because it actually makes other people more afraid. So, as expected, Doyle checks, Eschel, the original Razor, also checks, and now the action is on Chrysostomo in position, and he's got 35,000 remaining in his stack, 31,700 in the pot, and he does something I really can't get behind. He goes all in for 35,000, and the reason I don't like this play is because it's pretty easy to play perfectly against it. If you're Eschel, the original Razor, and you do have the overpair, Aces or Kings, are you going to call a big shove? Like, it's more than the pot size on the turn. Like, of course, you have to call some of the time because otherwise you have no calls, right? If you're checking the turn, you have to have some traps in there, some bluff catchers, right? Now, that might include, uh, you know, the rare time when you turn a set, right? You might want to check it and see if anybody else wants to take a stab or whatever. But generally, you're not calling this pot-sized shove on the turn, actually about 10, 15% more than pot-sized uh, with just one pair. Maybe it's a mix. You ask a solver, maybe I'm supposed to call once in a while with that type of hand. Uh, I would certainly call with queen, jack, or better, two pair, or better. But how often am I going to play two pair this way? Right. Usually we want to bet again on the turn, especially as the board is starting to get a little bit more flushy, a little bit more straightening. So bottom line, I'm not a fan of this shove. I think that Chrysostomo should bet very small on the turn, trying to get that stack all in on the river if he chose not to play it fast on the flop. So he slow played pre-flop. He slow played on the flop. And now all of a sudden... It checks to him, and with Doyle waiting, by the way, he shoves, and I think that if I were Eschel and I had the overpair, I could pretty much get away from it at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's what's his value target? Queen-Jack plus, and how many of those hands are even available when I have pocket queens? So really don't like this play, but he goes all in, and the other players fold. So Doyle has a pretty easy fold, I think, with queen-4, and Eschel, in this situation, actually had the ace of spades, nine of spades. So, uh, yeah, it's an even easier fold for him, holding what is now third pair with no draw. So, yeah, he flopped middle pair with a backdoor nut flush draw, which is a pretty good flop for ace nine. I'm still not sure that I would bet into three opponents having flopped thusly, but it's definitely a defensible play. And at least he bet enough to get people to fold pocket tens at least some of the time. 
But certainly the rest of, of the hand makes a lot of sense. The Jack of Hearts on the turn is just a terrible card for me if I'm sitting there holding Ace Nine of Spades. Uh, yeah, that's like one of the worst cards that could come off. I hate that card, so I'm going to check and definitely fold to this turn shove. I really think that the problem with this hand was the way that Victor Chrysostomo chose to play it. I think that he should three bet before the flop. I think that he should raise on the flop if he doesn't three bet before the flop. And then finally pulling the trigger on the turn. I guess the only merit to that is that a lot of hands now have more equity, like a pair um, with a straight draw or a flush draw now becomes in play because of this scary jack of hearts. Uh, yeah, certainly somebody could have picked up a flush draw as you know the backdoor hearts are starting to show up. I can understand like wanting to protect your equity in the hand, but to me, when I flop the nuts, I'm trying to maximize value. And likewise, when I have the third best possible hand before the flop and I'm sitting on a stack of only 35 blinds, my only goal is to try to get that whole stack in before the flop come hell or high water, which again, maybe that's what he was doing with his flat call. But I think just go ahead, like, look, we have an open from early position. Let's go ahead and try to get the money in now against him. And so that's where I think the mistakes were made in this hand. And, you know, you've got to give Doyle credit because he probably lost the minimum with top pair. And guys, as always, I welcome your comments. Uh, the best way to reach me is by tweeting at me at Clayton Comic on Twitter. Let me know uh, your thoughts on this hand. Are you a fan of the slow play of pocket queens before the flop? And what are the differences between the queens that were slow playing in this situation and the queens that we slow played last week in David Lappin's shoes discussing a hand from the EPT Prague? So, yeah, I mean, are queens the new jacks? Does no one know how to play queens? Why are queens below kings in the ranking of cards? And is this emblematic of the patriarchy? All of your thoughts are welcome at Clayton Comic on Twitter. All right, guys, let's do one more hand from this same little tournament. It's a $10,000 buy-in, no limit hold'em world championship with something like 7,000 players in it. Same tables, same blind levels, uh, same opponents. Very next hand, actually. So uh, just move everybody up one. Doyle is now in the small blind. Let's see. Uh, in this hand, the action folds to the cutoff, who is Ardi Kershumi who again was the uh, table chip leader at this point. And he's holding the ace of clubs, king of spades. He's got almost 200,000 in his stack. Doyle Brunson, the button folds, and then Doyle in the small blind raises to 11,000 with 130 behind. I don't want to tell you what Doyle has, but Kershumi opened with ace-king offsuit. So Doyle makes it 11,000, which is a very large three bet. It's more than a pot-sized three bet. And the action folds back to Artie Kershumi. And so what would you do with Ace-King offsuit? I think this is a really tough decision because we are so deep. I mean, Doyle is the effective stack in this hand, and he's got 
over 100 big blinds. I mean, this is a spot where I really don't want to try to get all in with Ace-King. I mean, why do I want to go up? These two guys are the biggest stacks at the table right now. So that is kind of an argument for just flatting. Also, the sizing. I mean, Ardit opened to 2,600. Remember, the blinds are 600, 1,200. So he opened to 2,600. And then right away, Doyle makes it 11,000. It's a very large bet. So if I'm going to four bet it here in position with ace king i'm going to want to make it at least i would say 25k and probably i would want to go closer to 30k maybe 28 feels right and then it would really suck if doyle keeps raising because i just don't want to have to call it off and i definitely don't want to fold ace king it's too strong of a hand especially before the flop but we're not trying to play a 200 big blind pot pre-flop with Ace-King when we're just hoping it's a coin flip situation, right? Especially not in the main event where you just don't have to take those sort of big pre-flop risks. So look at the difference. We're playing a 50 big blind stack, a 60 big blind stack. I think we're very happy to just keep raising. And if we have to play a big pot pre-flop with Ace-King, so be it. Uh, it might just be a coin flip for my tournament life or what have you, but I don't want to do that with a stack of this size. And so here, I actually don't mind just calling. Now, if Doyle had made a more normal three-bet size, a more of a standard, if you will, three-bet size, suppose I make it 2,600 and Doyle says 7,500 or even 8,000, then I can three-bet to 18,000 or 20,000, and if Doyle keeps raising, I might even be able to call in position and see a flop with Ace-King. Uh, certainly, you could fold in that case as well. But with this stack size, I don't want to get all in. So maybe I would make it, let's say, 27 or 28 after Doyle made it 11. And then if Doyle keeps raising, I guess I would just have to throw away my hand, which would absolutely suck. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's why in this situation, Mr. Korshumi decides to play pot control pre-flop against the other table chip leader. So he just calls and we are going to see a flop. There is now 24,000 in the middle and Doyle has about 112,000 behind. The flop comes. Eight of clubs, four of clubs, deuce of spades, and the action is on Doyle having three bet pre. Uh, we have not announced Doyle's hand yet. I want you to play this hand from the perspective of Artie Kershumi. So Doyle continuation bets 16,000 into the 24,000 pot. Now, just like in the previous hand, this is a large sizing. I mean, typically nowadays we're seeing much smaller bet sizing on the flop and Doyle is choosing to bet two-thirds of the pot here on an eight high board with two clubs so he throws out 16,000 and what to do with ace king offsuit well we do have the ace of clubs so if we're behind there's some chance not a big chance I think it's around six percent uh, that we will make a runner runner flush we also have two overcards. In my opinion, 
this is a close decision. If Doyle had bet 8,000 or 10,000, I think it's a no-brainer call. But the 16,000, we need a little bit more hand to call. Still, under the circumstances, in position, I don't think I'm quite ready to fold my ace-king yet. I could always get lucky on 4th Street. So let's put in the 16K and see what happens next. Oh, I also want to point out, Artie is very obvious that he's not happy. He shakes his head. And it doesn't look to me like he's acting. We actually know he has ace-king, so he's not acting. But he doesn't really hide his emotions very well. If you watch this hand on PokerGo, at the time when Doyle makes the bet, Kershumi looks unhappy, literally shaking his head, and then puts in the 16K anyway. That makes me wonder how much live poker he plays. Maybe he's trying to do like a reverse tell. Maybe trying to make Doyle think that he's feigning weakness because he's actually quite strong. I'm not really sure what he's going for here, but generally speaking, you don't want to try to outmaneuver Doyle Brunson psychologically at the poker table. I mean, the man's been playing poker before our grandparents were born. So let's just uh, tone it down a little bit on the head shaking. But yeah, it's very obvious that he's unhappy, but he calls anyway. And now with 56,000 in the middle, Doyle with... 96,000 behind. The turn comes the king of clubs. So our board is now eight of clubs, four of clubs, deuce of spades, king of clubs. So now Artie Kershumi has top pair with the nut flush draw and Doyle checks. What would you do in this spot? You have not only top pair, but you also have the nut flush draw. So what to do? I mean, you could certainly bet. If you bet and Doyle raises, you're pretty happy to call because you could have the best hand. You definitely have the best draw. So we have enough hand that we can put this one into our bet call range. There's also a case for checking and trying to get value on the river. So when Doyle has a three-betting hand like pocket jacks, pocket queens, possibly even pocket nines or tens, uh, and then he doesn't love the king, and he especially doesn't love the club, then you might be better off checking on the turn and trying to go for value on the river. And I think that's the best play here. Uh, a bet might not get much value on the turn because Doyle has to worry not only that we have a flush, but he also has to worry that we just made a pair of kings with this card. Now, when Doyle has something like two black tens, I think he might call a bet on the turn, hoping that his flush draw is good and that possibly his tens could still be good. I mean, you can't just check fold every time with a hand that strong, right? That would be ridiculous. So there is a case to be made for betting and going for value on the turn. But on balance, I think our best chance to get value for this hand, especially if it ends up being just one pair of kings, will be on the end. So I would check behind here. And actually, that's what Kershumi decided to do. Check behind and let another card come off. The river is the queen of clubs. So now we have the nuts. We have the ace high flush on the final board of eight of clubs, four of clubs, deuce of spades, king of clubs, queen of clubs. So, and Doyle wakes up and bets 10,000 
into the 56,000 pot. Now let's talk about this sizing. Doyle is doing a blocking sized bet that may actually be able to get value. I think it's time now that I tell you what Doyle has. He's got the king 10 of hearts, guys. So Doyle checked that king on the turn, even though that's the card that made his hand. I don't know. It's probably some combination of wanting to turn his hand into a bluff catcher, um, possibly being worried that Kershumi had made a flush with the third club. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of good reasons to check the turn, even though it gave Doyle top pair. So he did that, and Kershumi missed a value bet, I suppose, on the turn. But let's talk about this river sizing by Doyle Brunson. He's targeting for value a hand like ace-queen that finally made a pair on the river. He is not going to be able to get value from any flush because all flushes beat Doyle, who does not have a club. Uh, he, of course, doesn't know that Kershumi has the nuts in this situation, and Doyle may actually think that it's unlikely that Kershumi does have the nuts because that would mean he either made the nuts on the turn and checked it back or made the nut draw on the turn and checked it back where many players would bet. So if you think about the hand from Doyle's perspective, he's got top pair and it might be good because Kershumi didn't bet on 4th Street. So I think Doyle is actually going for value here, trying to get a curious call from a hand like Ace-Queen with no club and maybe even a worse hand, like two red nines. I mean, I'm not sure I could fold two red nines in this situation when I'm getting six and a half to one on a call. I mean, if you think about that, you really only need to be good about 15% of the time-ish to make that call profitable. Doyle should be bluffing here about that often. So I, I think that's what Doyle's going for here. He also doesn't want to have to call a bigger bet, so it's a bit of a defensive bet or a blocking bet, as it's sometimes called. But I really think Doyle's going for value. He has top pair, but he can't really bet any more than that because of the four clubs on the board. So he bets this tiny 10K into 56K. Of course, Kershumi has the nuts, so he raises, but he only raises to 26,000. So now talk about pot odds. Doyle is getting about 8-1 to one on a call here, and he's holding top pair. But Doyle's been around for a long time, guys, and he knows that there's just no chance that King-10 is good. Uh, I, he would probably have to be getting more like 30-1 to one in order to make a call. But especially for this sizing, it's just maybe 3% of the time is it a bluff, if that. Even 3%, I probably would want to fold because it's just nobody raises that small. He's like begging for a call. He can't expect this raise sizing to have any fold equity at all. And, you know, be honest, guys, would you ever bluff raise a 10,000 chip bet into a 56,000 pot to just 26,000 and expect your opponent to lay down any kind of hand at all, right? It's, it's a value raise. And Doyle sniffs it out and, of course, folds despite getting such attractive pot odds. The real takeaway from the hand for me, is Doyle wreaking havoc pre-flop with his oversized 3-bet and having the suited King-10 in his 3-bet range 
from the small blind, it kind of makes me wonder, does Doyle have a flatting range at all at this stack depth from the small blind? So if he wants to play King-10, is he always going to three-bet it? And is this the sizing he's always going to use? Uh, it kind of flips things on its head, especially for those of us who play a lot of online poker. You will almost never see uh, a raise before the flop that is larger than a pot-sized raise like this one is. So that'll do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed these hands and my analysis of them. I would love to hear your thoughts on one or both of these hands that we watched on PokerGo last year in the 2021 World Series of Poker main event. For everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my.